Welcome to the Rethink Leadership Podcast with me, Jeremy Blaine, CEO of PerformanceWorks International. This podcast is grounded in business, digital, workforce, and leadership transformation for our times. My aim is to initiate conversations with experts, leaders, professionals who've got a story to tell and who we can all learn from. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel or simply go to performanceworks.global to access all the episodes to date. I'm sure you'll find something of interest. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Rethink Leadership Podcast. My guest today, David Little, is CEO of the TCM Group and President of the Institute of Organizational Dynamics. He's the author of Managing Conflict and his second book, Transformational Culture, was recently shortlisted as Business Book of the Year. David has extensive experience of cultural transformation, conflict resolution and leadership development. In 2001, David established the TCM Group to help organizations develop purpose-driven, values-based, and person-centered cultures. In 2021, David was recognized as one of the global top 20 HR most influential thinkers, and in 2022, was invited to join the prestigious Thinkers 50 radar. The importance of transformational culture building across our organizations is the topic of this week's episode. We discuss why it's important, what it means in reality, and how to do it through David's insightful, unique blueprint, and the benefits of getting that right, as much as the cost of not doing it at all or getting it wrong. Let's hear more. Well, David, thanks very much for joining me on this Rethink Leadership podcast. Please introduce yourself, your business, and your biggest learnings as a leader. Oh, Jeremy, I'm so pleased to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So my name's David Little. I'm the CEO and founder of a wonderful uh, consultancy called the TCM Group. We've been going for 22 years now, and uh, the organisation really began life following a charity that I ran, Jeremy. I used to specialise in conflict resolution and restorative justice in communities, working with gangs and neighbour disputes and communities doing rather unpleasant things to each other. Um, Difficult, but really interesting. And I learned how to bring people together to find a mutual space to have powerful conversations. So I ran a charity for oh, six or seven years. I did an MBA and then I set up my own company, uh, the TCM Group. And we provide, or very much provided at the beginning, conflict resolution services to organisations, mediation, coaching, investigations. But you don't have to do many of those, Jeremy, before you start to look up into the organisation and say, what are you doing to your people? And uh, I started to go and have conversations with leaders and human resources professionals and unions and others about the systems, the processes, the culture within our organisation. So for the last 20 years, very much driven by a passion for mediation and conflict resolution, but building that into the systems and the structures and the processes. And the two leadership uh, challenges that I've, I've kind of learned along the way. I think the first one for me as a leader is the leader's need for power, authority and control. And the employee's need for mastery, autonomy and purpose, you know, quoting Daniel Pink here, where those two work in harmony, the culture is expansive, it's powerful, it's it's healthy, it's harmonious, it's, it's high performance, a wonderful what I would call a transformational culture, where the need for power, authority and control from our leaders clashes with our employees' need for mastery, autonomy and purpose. We see culture shock, we see division, we see tension, we see strife, we see conflict. 
and it becomes a massive distraction in our organization. So that's the first leadership challenge for me is helping as a leader, recognizing the need to, 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 to blend those two elements. And then the second one for me, working in the space of conflict resolution now for, for such a long time, is recognizing that my behaviors as a leader shape and define the character of the organization. So the air that I breathe out, the air I breathe out is my actions, interactions, and reactions. The air, actions, interactions, and reactions. The air I breathe out is the air others breathe in. It creates the climate, and all of those climates aggregate to create the culture. So I often think when I'm talking to leaders, yes, we can change the culture from the top down, of course we do, but we're also beginning to change it from the bottom up. And it's about how we lead through our behaviours and role modelling. So those are the two, when I was thinking about this today, I was thinking about those are the two primary leadership lessons I've learned over the last 20 years. I could get right behind those, I have to say, and we will get into this culture question. But I do I do want to go back to a couple of things that you said. So TCM Group, 22 years old. So was this a new century resolution, was it, of some kind? Yeah. So to I, set up this company? <laughs> yeah, it was. You know, it, it was. So I went and did an MBA. I was sat at the back of my MBA class and I was actually commissioned by the Cabinet Office and two big London councils to come and do some work to integrate fair and just and restorative cultures in, in those organisations. I'm very fortunate to work across the civil service now, but uh, began in small steps. So I was back at the back of my MBA class, and I was learning about total quality management systems and Japanese management systems, TQM and Kaizen and continuous improvement. And I was also learning about stuff coming out of Harvard and Cornell around integrated conflict management systems. So Jeremy, I blended total quality management with integrated conflict management systems and created total conflict management you know, what a branding disaster that would have been. So what a name, but total compromise, but it, it wasn't a branding disaster. I'm joking. It was a, it was my attempt to put conflict resolution into the strategic sort of levels within our organisations. No longer just pretend it doesn't happen or come down hard, but seeing the management of conflict as, as critical to our organisational effectiveness as the management of quality within our organisation. So that's where it was born out of, the back of a MBA class at De Montfort University back in the 19, late 1990s, early noughties. <laughs> oh, what a way to kick off the 21st century is all I can say. Um, <laughs> and I really I, I really like what you're saying about that blend of leadership and employee aspirations when they meet. It can create magic when they don't. We all know what can happen with there. And that leaders model the behaviours, their actions, interactions and reactions as you so rightly say then drives so much about what happens in the organization how things happen how people react mm. and we are in the age of transformation and in your book on the same topic you argue that implementing a transformational culture is the foundation for success so i want to get into that right now with you david what is a transformational culture model and why is it so important for leaders and human capital experts to embrace and adopt now so, so when I was writing, so I was doing research in the book and writing the book, I was out doing a lot of research in the sort of culture change space. And there was lots of great stuff on the why we need to do culture and what we need to do in relation to culture. But I wasn't seeing a lot in terms of how to do culture and what does good culture look like? There was so much stuff around toxic cultures, broken cultures. There were so many um, adjectives and, and words to describe broken and damaging cultures, but there were very few that described, I thought, good culture. So I set out on a mission to try and define what I felt good looked like. 
And I came up with the phrase transformational culture. So what does that actually mean? So transformational culture can be designed as a culture which at its heart is fair, just, and I'll come back to justice because justice is such a critical feature of our culture. If I would say justice is the defining character of our organizational cultures, yet it's never talked about, never spoken about, and um, disregarded in so many different ways. So I'd love to come back to the concepts around justice. It's an inclusive culture where my managers and my leaders and my colleagues and me can, can shine and be the best version of ourselves in our organizations, irrespective of all of our characteristics and background and faiths and beliefs. And my managers and leaders help to express, express that. Where our leaders recognize that their roles and responsibilities is creating leadership in others. So rather than seeing this hierarchical competitive environment where we're scrambling for authority and, and the notion of win, that the leader's responsibility within a transformational culture is to create and sustain leadership in others. It becomes a self-fulfilling and self-sustaining principle within the transformational culture. Where the organisation works in harmony, we talked about that notion of harmony already between those drivers and features of the leadership and the, and the employee, but also harmony within our teams and divisions and within directorates, resolving issues constructively. A happier environment using the principles of positive psychology and flow, not just for me as a human being of creating a happier individual, although I would argue that's an important feature of the, of the culture, but also within the way that we interact with each other within our teams, project teams and divisions and the role that managers play and leaders play in facilitating and sustaining positive, constructive dialogue within our organisation, where dialogue is given primacy within the transformational culture, rather than retribution. And our systems of justice, which are deeply retributive and ingrained so through so many of our organisations, norms and systems and practices, driven by a focus on blame and shame and punishment and uh, a punitive outcome at the end of that, based on a competitive system that exists within the workplace, shift in the axis towards a more transformational, transformative approach, which uh, where, where dialogue, mutual acceptable outcomes, strengths-based approaches, appreciative inquiry feature. And, and just to kind of wrap this all up in a, in a bit of a bundle, a bit of a bow, it's about using all of those and deploying them to drive performance. Now, how do we define performance in our modern organisations in this volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world that we're all working in these VUCA times? For me, performance is defined as social value, the impact on our, on, on, of course, on the communities and society, stakeholder value, and how the organisation relates to and responds to the needs of multiple stakeholders internally and externally, and shareholder value. So where the organisation culture is effectively delivering against those three forms of value, we start to see an enhancement of performance and organisational performance measured in those terms. So transformational culture is about the inputs that we're feeding into the organisation and the outputs and aligning those and those measures of value. And that is a truly transformational culture. And that's what moved me and, and drove me to write my book. So I wasn't reading this stuff and I wanted to find out more about it. Yeah, and that's really clear, David, in the journey from the what and why of culture into the how-to. You're absolutely right. How do we get this done in the modern world? Yeah. Intrigued to know more, and I know you're going to pick up on this uh, later on, on the word justice as being at the heart of culture something that i heartily agree with i must say 
And another thing that I strongly agree with is the culture to create leadership in others, very empowering. It's the harmonics of the organization that we talk about mean that we are stronger together. We're rewarding and recognizing different things potentially to what we've been used to doing in pure performance terms. We're we're recognizing behaviors and and the way that we might work together. and I like your I like your piece on the social stakeholder and shareholder value. Uh, my my version would be something around purpose, people, and profit. I, I imagine around those kind of things. But that's absolutely key. That social value of organisations, cultures, and their leaders being forces for good socially, as much as anything else. And that's something that we can all buy into. Um. So. I'm sure for those tuning in, this sounds um, this sounds like a very um, altruistic way forward. So what are the compelling business cases, David, to encourage leaders and human capital pros to move from this is a great idea to getting it done? And what's the cost of not doing it? Yeah, that's great. So I, I, I was very fortunate to have Dave Ulrich, who wrote the foreword to my tax. So I got to know Dave through, through this. And this was, a, this was a conversation we had many, many times as he was preparing the forward. So I think I could look at the business case in, in three measures. I think the measure for talent, the measure for investors and for customers. And we can take each of those as being sort of leadership priorities, organizational priorities in turn. So the quest for talent to secure and retain the top talent. We know that the focus on culture from, from, from people joining our organizations is now significant. Is it more significant than the remuneration? Some, some, some surveys might suggest it is. We can certainly see, Jeremy, that the need for a culture where I feel valued, treated as a human being, where it's human and humane, where I know that my voice is going to be heard and I can speak up and speak out. And, you know, you're saying to me, bring the whole you to work. But if I walk into that workplace and say, well, we want the whole you, but we don't want the bit of you that's an activist. And we don't want the bit of you that's angry about climate, the climate emergency. We don't want the bit of you that's fighting for 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 rights whether it's in relation to racism or misogyny we don't want we want the whole you but not those little bits over there thank you very much we're kind of seeing this now as as, as employees as, as future talent saying how oh, that doesn't quite fit for me you just said bring the whole me to work and now you're telling me that you don't want the bits of me that i feel are really important so for organizations cultures to adopt the tran- adopt the transformational culture we're saying bring the whole you to work in terms of talent and we welcome your voice we welcome your difference we welcome your your ideas and your thoughts, and we welcome you as a whole. So first and foremost, we're creating an alignment between those principles of securing talent and bringing your whole self to work. And that creates that alignment where we can do just that. And I would argue, when I speak to great many leaders and and others in organizations, employee act voice and employee activism is something we talk about, but actually, are we really listening? And I work with a lot of leaders to give them so the tools to help them give their people a jolly good listening to. So one of the benefits is you're going to attract the talent and retain the talent in your workplace. The second one, of course, is around investors. We can see through the ESG agenda, Jeremy and others, that our investors now are putting significant pressure on our organisations to get culture right. So if we're wanting to draw in investment, investment, whatever form of investment that might be, then it's about making sure we've got the right conditions in our organisation, as you've said earlier, around purpose, people and planet. And that's the test. And that's the test increasingly that our investors and others are looking at. And then the final one is our customers. Our customers are on social media. They're reading the social feeds. 
our customers are reading all of the blogs and all of the reviews on Trustpilot and on various other review websites. So they can see what people are saying about your organization in real time. They're not having to wait for months or years to, to, read a, to read a review. This is happening right now. And the organizations, the successful organizations of the future, they're not just listening to their customers, which obviously anyone would advocate, any leader should be doing. They're actually in dialogue with their customers, a persistent, perpetual dialogue and conversation with their customers through the prism of organizational culture. So when we start to see that focus on talent, investors and customers, suddenly the business case becomes clearer. So the other, the other business case is when we aggregate all of those different elements and create an environment where I feel happier and more included and more involved, then we start to see greater discretionary effort. We start to see an enhancement of, of performance and productivity. We only need to have a 5% performance increase on my performance as an individual to see a significant aggregated impact on performance across the whole organization. So the other side of it, of course, as well, is not just does it feel good? Does it look good? Does it sound good? Is it the right thing to do? Is it good for business? Yeah, absolutely it is. But if business leaders right now are trying to address the productivity gap and trying to drive a high performance culture, then getting culture right has to be the single most important thing at the top of the inbox of every leader right now. Yeah, no, because the exact opposite is true when people aren't making progress and aren't doing this um, and aren't making an effort, David. Absolutely. And it's a shame. And I think it's those organisations that will slowly and inexorably fail. I don't, I don't want to be too doom about this, but people are making very real choices, you know, whether you believe the great resignation is or isn't happening and, you know, so on and so forth. People are making very significant choices about what they want to do with their lives. And I think from the conversations I'm having and all the research I'm reading right now is culture is right up there as the top number one factor that's causing them to think about where they're choosing to invest their time and effort. Yeah, and it goes back to something you said at the beginning of that, actually, which is the the the, the human humane. And for me, that's about putting humanity at the heart of businesses again. Uh, and that's as much relevant for customers externally and stakeholders, other stakeholders, as it is our, our talent. Um, you know, you talk about the talent, the investors and the customers. That is kind of like the holy trinity, isn't it, really? Absolutely. Um, culturally. Biomplex, as I call them. Yeah, all right, okay. And uh, I do like your terminology, the employee activism, not something that I've used, but but something I'd love to adopt now, actually, because it does get to the heart of something that I know many are talking about more about the power shift, the the employee choice. Employer employees have far more power of choice these days. And it is up to the leader to build the cultures that engage, mobilize, motivate, and make people want to stay and do things differently. Um, and in fact, you now getting back to what you said right at the beginning, the how-to around all this it can be a little bit daunting. Yeah. for many because it's all very well talking about it and what i really valued from your book is that you offer a blueprint for a new form of organizational culture david and i'd love you to explain what that is and how it works in practice of course no thank thank you jeremy and just one one other point i think if organizations are asking how do we do this now really going back to the employee activism point and looking forward to getting into the blueprint so if we're talking about listening to our employees, we're inviting that entrepreneurship and disruptive thinking, innovative thinking, 
And I talked earlier about power, authority and control. So people are challenging this now. If in our organisations we have these systems for dealing with people who challenge us, let's call it a disciplinary procedure or a grievance procedure and these procedures, the best advice I could give to a leader right now in terms of how you want to handle the manage the culture in your organisation is walk to your employee handbook, take the grievance procedure out, take the disciplinary procedure out, pick them up, walk to the shredder and shred them. And now what we're going to do is open up a really powerful conversation with people who are disruptive, who don't agree with us, who are going to challenge us, who are going to challenge each other, and we're going to find a new way of driving positive, sustainable outcomes in those moments. So for me, going to the blueprint, we cannot deliver a truly transformational culture in our organisations and retain these old, tired, dreary, broken systems of justice, discipline and grievance being the obvious ones. So for anyone out there who's interested about driving cultural change, the first thing we need to do is to rip up some of these old systems which are broken and divisive and corrosive and pernicious and take them and remove them from the business. It forces us to be creative. It forces us to be innovative. So going to my blueprint, Jeremy, you will imagine that at the very heart of the blueprint is a rethinking about some of these old rules-based systems. And thinking about justice. So I'm going to start from justice and work out if that's okay. So it starts with a rethink of justice. Justice in our organisations needs to deliver against two key features. Natural justice, are we being fair to our people? And procedural justice, would this stand up in a court? However, in our organisations, we've also welded in a new and a third form of justice called retribution or retributive justice. There's no legal, statutory, moral or other duty on organisations for them to destroy their people through a retributive, punitive outcome based system such as that. So when I was developing the blueprint, I looked at the justice model and deconstructed it. I looked at natural justice, procedural justice, and I drew on the principle of restorative justice, compassion, dialogue, positive engagement, future focused, and trying to drive positive outcomes which meet the needs of all. And I pulled retributive justice out and and inserted restorative justice and came up with a model called transformative justice. So the heart of the blueprint is a new model of justice. And for me, it's very exciting. And for organisations who adopted, big organisations now are adopting this, they're seeing a seismic shift in justice. So let's have that at the centre of the blueprint, and then we're going to work out. So on the on the part of it is about um, first and foremost asking the answering the question who owns culture. So the first thing that we do to develop the blueprint is we ask answer the question who owns the culture of the organisation. Everyone everyone owns the culture and no one does. But within the blueprint, they're trying to address that we create what we call a transformational culture hub, bringing together unions, management, employees, HR together to help shape then develop and design the the organisation's culture in a way which is predictive and proactive rather than reactive and transactional. And that's chaired by the chief exec or the chief people officer. There are then eight enablers of an organisational culture or transformational culture. So putting our purpose and our values first and using our values as a golden thread, jargon alert. So just to let you know, putting our golden thread through the EVP, the employee value proposition. So we're going to track our employee value proposition and our values throughout it. Using evidence and data to help drive decision-making. Repurposing the HR function from a function which is a policing function to police using a set of policies and procedures. 
to a truly dynamic, empowering function using mentoring and coaching, mediation, no longer reliant on these rigid processes, but much more focused around helping to construct and develop the kind of justice model that I'm talking about. Repurposing and thinking about some of our leadership behaviours and aligning our values and behaviours and our standards together for our leaders and managers to use as a roadmap. Introducing transformative justice, as I've mentioned, focusing on creating a well-being and engagement, inclusion, focus on sustainability and social justice. And the eight enabler is looking at employee branding, employer branding, reputation and risk, mitiga risk mitigation. And very quickly, the final part of the model, uh, Jeremy, is what we call the seven dimensions of a transformational culture. And they're very conveniently all start with a C and I'll run through them quickly. And they're courage, uh, connection collaboration, a sense of common purpose, communication, compassion and curiosity. And those seven C's act as a, they're an output of the culture, it, it delivers those, but they then also help to shape the thinking, if you like, the capabilities around our management leadership, which then get fed back into the culture to turbocharge it. So they're feeding back in, turbocharging the culture. So it's a it's a blueprint, but it's feeding in and feeding off each other. I mean, it's 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 exciting to work with. Well, that's and well done for explaining that in just a few minutes, David, as well. Um, and I would urge everybody tuning in to um get online, search for David's book, and we'll 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 ask uh, David around that at, at the end as well. So you've got uh, the details and the links. Um, and where you started that, uh, David, resonated hugely. It's out with the old and in with the new, reflecting your millennial era, millennium, millennium era business, um, a shift from potentially 20th century thinking right through to 21st century thinking. Mm. And thanks also for going into the justice piece. As you explained it, it resonated hugely. And I'm sure it uh, did with many tuning in. And the idea of bringing this together for everyone in your transformational culture hub and your eight enablers and the seven C's which sort of drive this whole process, I think offer such a great blueprint uh, for moving forward. For many, though, leaders and human capital pros, they will agree with this. They will say, this looks great. But the sheer scope and scale of what they're taking on may be pretty daunting. So how do they get started and how will they know they're on the right road to successful culture shift? Yeah, that's a great, a really great question. I get asked this question every day. So it's a really important question. The first thing I would say, I mean, again, it, it, it's a bit trite. It's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. But there are things we can do right now to change our culture, Jeremy. So be, this isn't an oil tanker that's going to take years to turn around. I can choose to behave differently right now in terms of this conversation. I can be acerbic, dogmatic, confrontational and hostile, or I can choose to be positive and compassionate and as you are so effectively listening and asking questions and being curious. So we can choose right now and, and our culture is an aggregate of all of those choices we make. So the first thing I would say is don't be um, uh, intimidated by the scale of the change some of it's about helping people to make better choices, not by wagging a finger or tutting at them or blaming them or undermining them, but showing them the, the way that we could behave and the outcomes that it could deliver. I think the second thing I would say is the organisations are sat on an enormous amount of data and evidence, an enormous amount. When we go, even, even a small organisation, it's incredible how much data and evidence they're sat on. 
I think we need to get a lot better at understanding what the data and evidence is telling us and getting better at triangulating it. So looking at our employee engagement data, our attrition data, exit interview data, the number of tribunals we've defended, the number of grievances we've received, the number of days lost and so on and so forth. Most organisations, HR systems have that data. So go mining your data and let the data sing. And let the data begin to tell you where your priority points are within the organisation. So we're using data and evidence. And then we can build into that the, the people data. And people data, for me, is very simple. Let's go out and listen to people. Let's put our ears there and go and hear what people are saying. Listen to the stories. And what I find really interesting, we do a load of cultural audits. And um, we go out and do these big listening exercises, Jeremy. And as we start listening to people, and often people are very fearful. What are they going to say? And is it all going to be negative? And so we're worried about letting consultants in. Actually, people are generally on the whole pretty positive and pretty uh, excited about their workplace. But actually, the information that they're sharing with their managers and leaders is, is, is compelling narrative to help begin to drive those changes. And what leaders say to me is, gosh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And why did we do this years ago and have these conversations? So we can get that data and let people shape it. And then what we asking is what's your desired future state this is using appreciative inquiry what's your desired future state what's your dream state and that creates a gap between your current state and your dream state and very simply then got a gap and we can then begin to problem solve in the gap you can sequence you can prioritize you can build milestones and you can build goals in the gap so as you will with any other project culture change then becomes something of a project and applying those project management methodologies but it's a strength-based process using those techniques which i've described of which appreciative inquiry and so on and so forth so and you know it's a most exciting project as well i think if you're a if you're a, in, in in the people space and human capital a leader um what a wonderful piece of work to bring you all together and i mean i've just um been working with i'm sure the organization won't mind me mentioning them burberry um so we've just been working with burberry to do this and wow it's just brought everyone together we've spent such an exciting few months helping them to build up some some of their hubs and some of their content, but it's brought everyone together. So the whole process of building this transformational culture within that organisation, as with so many others, isn't just delivering a positive, substantive outcome. It's actually bringing people together and having some really powerful conversations. And as I said, I, I, hope, I hope they won't mind me mentioning them, but it's a really interesting piece of work, and I'm sure, I'm sure they won't, hopefully. <laughs> You're so passionate about this, David, and it and it strikes me then that the first the first point of call here is attitude. Have your mindset right, then you can make those choices that you're talking about. You can then start to make some data driven decisions at all levels, getting feed in, buy in, and action. Uh, you buy in across the organisation, not just with the few, and it appears that you're going to end up stronger together and more more connected, of course, with this. Um, and it's uh, it's logical when 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 you say it, but it, it's so difficult seemingly for for some organisations to get there without help. And and I would say again that your book, Transformational Culture, is a great place to start. So, in the spirit of segueing into that into that book, David, you can leave us with uh, some little tidbits. What would be your three top tips for any organizations wanting to buy into what we've been talking about today and build a transformational culture 
I mean, we've touched on some of that. I mean, it's, it's great to hear you reflecting that back in. And thanks for your, your positive feedback as well. I think working together, I mean, it's, so I mean, I'm a mediator. So I've worked in situations where common sense has done a leap out of the nearest window, followed not far behind with trust and, and communication. So let's put them back in that order. Communication, let's start to talk and listen to each other. That will then seed and build trust within the relationship. And you know, we won't get into too much complexity around the psychological contract, the social contract, and the employment contract, but how those align and using trust within those. And then that begins to build common sense. So what I've tried to do then is bring common sense into the process. It's logical. It makes sense. When people listen to me talk about it, they go, ah, yeah, of course. That, why would we not do it this way? It's because... Things are getting in the way, the desire for rigidity, complexity, risk management. We're very risk averse in many of our organisations in relation to this. So my best advice is go out and really listen to what your people are saying. They'll tell you and and, and value that and, and engage with it. Be collaborative. Build compassion. Compassion, by the way, is not soft. We just get that myth completely debunked. Compassion does not mean being soft. It means being kind and supportive and and, and 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 actually driving really powerful conversations within our workplaces. So driving compassion into our line and into our leadership functions. For our HR to, to, to release themselves, to release their vice-like grip on retribution. Retribution serves no one apart from lawyers. And I guess if your organisation exists not to create a P&L, but to underpin the P&L of your local law firm, then you know, by all means, continue with retribution because that's, you know, it's serving a purpose. But if your organisation doesn't exist to underpin the PL of the local law firm, then it's time to release our vice-like grip on retribution. No one wins from retributive justice. So I think those are some of the, the key features there. So keep it simple, but be ambitious. And as I said earlier, this isn't something you can do overnight, but we can make choices today, here, right now, about how we'll behave. And, and I suppose the final point is we're, we're in some tough times, probably the toughest times any of us will be experiencing, whether that's geopolitical or economic, environmental factors. So we're in that moment of crisis. We're, we're in that moment of, of deep uncertainty. How we behave right now, anyone can behave well when the tills are ringing and all, all's going well. How we behave as leaders right now, that's the defining moment for us as leaders. We need to step up now and show our true leadership at this moment of real crisis, whether that's our political leaders right the way through to business and other leaders. Well, fabulous tips to end with there, David. So how do people get hold of your book, Transformational Culture? How do they get in touch with you personally as well? Because I'm sure many will want to keep the conversation going with you. And I'd really welcome that. I love having conversations about this stuff. It's really exciting. So, so my book, Transformational Culture, is available on Amazon and it's published by Kogan Page. So it's available on the Kogan Page website as well. Um, and in terms of getting hold of me, I'm all over LinkedIn. Uh, and my email address, if if you'd like to contact me by email, is david.little, that's L-I-D-D-L-E, at the tcmgroup.com. Uh, the tcmgroup.com is our website www.thetcmgroup.com we've got that's loads of information on there we've got lots of other little micro sites and bits and pieces there so hopefully you'll be able to track me down um in one of those routes but um and i've got another book as well managing conflict which is my first book jeremy i'm just in the process of writing uh the second edition of that of which burberry who i referenced earlier and one of a number of organizations who are sharing uh, some of their case studies and stories and spotlighting some really fabulous practice. Um, so that'll be published um, sort of spring, early summer 2023. 
Well, you're certainly keeping yourself busy, David. So I, I better let you go. But thank you so much for joining me. Very insightful journey into culture building for modern organizations and people. Thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Jeremy. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Rethink Leadership Podcast with me, Jeremy Blaine. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel or simply go to performanceworks.global to access all the episodes to date. We'll see you next time.